0: How many of you guys, if you're honest, uh, a lot of people don't like to admit it, did anybody make resolutions this year of any kind, anybody? You know, a few of you, are good. you're more honest in the first service, they just kind of said there. they didn't want to say anything. Now let me ask you, how many of you uh, have already gone by the way, those who have gone by the wayside? <laughs> you know, that's what I thought. How many of you, how many of you go to a gym or a part of a fitness center or a workout facility have you noticed how from January 1st to about now that it's just crowded like crazy? You, you notice that? Now, have you noticed in the last week that it kind of fading back down? <laughs> you know, resolu- that's how resolutions go, isn't it? Now, uh, the top ten resolutions every year, other than fitness, there's usually two that are always a part of that top ten list of resolutions. You know what they are? One is uh, get, get out of debt, and one is to save money. Those are usually two of the biggies that are on that list. Now, there's also a list of the top ten broken resolutions. You know what two are always on that one? Yeah, it's get out of debt and save money. Now, and it's not that people have bad intentions. I think people intend to really do that. And I don't think it's because they, haven't have a, they don't necessarily have a plan. I think part of it is because when that first credit card bill comes from in January from your Christmas shopping spree, all of a sudden those resolutions go out the window, don't they? I mean, that's just a part of life. I mean, that's just kind of where we're at. That's why today we want to look at another app. We've been in a series called Life Apps. Um, and today we're going to look at an app that's on our, our phone that's a calculator. How many use the calculator on your phone? Raise your hand. Okay, I know I do. Um, how many have used it for doing something financial? Anybody? Okay, probably a lot of us do. That's how well we do. We're adding up numbers, seeing if things come together. Well, and I say that for this reason because today that's going to represent an area of our life that we don't always like to talk about, and it is that area of finances I don't know some of you walking in here today going uh oh if I'd have known that well, we'd, you know we'd be at IHOP right now um, <laughs> you know but we're going to look at that area for just a moment so now we're going to pray now I, I'm going <laughs> to yeah see I told you now the only thing is I'm going to pray with my eyes open because I want to see if anybody leaves so uh, actually I'm not but but let's pray and let's ask God to have his hand on what we do today Lord I thank you so much for this day and God, you have some amazing things that we need to hear. And it's good to joke and have fun, but the reality is, you have said in your word certain things, especially about the area of finances and giving, and we just need to give heed to that. And so, God, I pray your spirit speak today. It's in your name we pray. Amen. You may remember the, may, some of you may remember the story uh, Mom comes running into the family room, begins to scream at her husband. Call the doctor immediately. Johnny just swallowed two dimes. We need the doctor. Her husband just quietly goes over, very calmly goes over, grabs the phone, and he dials. And she hears him talking to the pastor she says, what are you doing? We don't need the pastor. We need a doctor. Johnny just swallowed two dimes. She said, honey. He said, honey, just calm down. I don't know anybody that's better at getting money out of people than our pastor. (laughs) Now, I want to put you at ease today because my goal is not to try to suck all the money out of your bank account. And it's not to put you on a guilt trip. My goal is to help all of us, including myself, to understand how important it is to hear what the Bible has to say about the way we handle our finances. Why? And this is so important. We need to write this down. I want you to remember it because we're going to be talking about it at the very end. And it's this. Because when God's people give, as he has directed in his word, our impact can become limitless. Get that? When God's people give the way God instructs us, when the way God tells us to give, our impact can be limitless. In fact, here's a great definition of stewardship that I want you to write down I want you to remember. Stewardship is using God-given abilities to manage God-given resources to accomplish God-ordained results. Stewardship is using God-given abilities to manage God-given resources to accomplish God-ordained results. See, God wants all of us, in fact, God requires all of us to be good stewards of all of our resources. And he's entrusted to us um, all these blessings and all these resources, and that includes our finances. And he, he says, I just want you to manage those well, to be good stewards over those. So let's begin. Uh, Eric, if you could, could you bring me some water, please? Thank you. Whether you realize it or not, the Bible has a lot to say about money. Uh, There are roughly 2,500 different verses referring to money, twice as many as there are about faith and prayer combined. Jesus talked more about money than he did about heaven and hell. In fact, Richard Halverson, he was a former chaplain of the United States Senate. He wrote, Jesus Christ said more about money than about any other single thing because when it comes to a man's real nature, thank you, money is of first importance. Money is an exact index to a man's true character all through scripture there's an intimate correlation between the development of a man's character and how he handles his money now again i'm realistic enough to know that money is something that most people don't even like to talk about in church you I know mean, i know that in fact some of you as soon as i mention that word finances or money you've already checked out in your minds you know I mean, you may have started getting nervous. If you've got kids in here, you've grabbed their kids' pack and you're already collaring. You know, I don't know. But we, tend to, we, we just tend to not want to hear the topic and hear about what God has to say. And yet, if we are going to be disciples who give the way God has instructed us, we have to take the time to listen and to talk and to learn from God's Word. Because according to God's Word, good money management begins by keeping track of our financial situation. Look at what Proverbs uh, chapter 27 has to say, starting in verse 23. It says, know the state of your flocks and put your heart into caring for your herds. For riches don't last forever and the crown might not be passed to the next generation. Now when Solomon wrote that, most people's assets were tied up in sheep and goats or or both. Today he may have put it this way. Know the condition of your assets, your accounts your stocks, your real estate, the things you possess. Now let me ask you this question. Have you ever heard this or said, I just don't know where my money goes. I just don't know where my money goes. Or maybe you put it this way. The finances are so tight that we have too much month at the end of our money. You ever thought that? True story. It happened back in about 1995, 1996, I was, the town we were living in, small town in, in, in Indiana, and uh, I was at the bank, and I was at the, the, the window with the teller, and two tellers down from me was a, a, a lady, and she was in an argument with the teller, and the last thing she said was this, what do you mean I don't have any money? I still have checks in my checkbook. <laughs> now, let me ask, let me tell you. If that's you or you've ever thought that, let me tell you, there's a problem in there. And there's a problem we need to deal with. Because the sad reality is this. The average American person today has convinced themselves that if we're making our monthly payments, if we've got some mad money to spend each month, if we can continue to feed and satisfy our wants and desires from time to time, guess what? Everything else is okay. And there really is not a problem. But the truth is, there is a problem. And here's what we have to remember. When we have no idea where we are financially, when we are overloaded with debt, we are living outside of God's will for our life. You see, the Bible makes it clear that God has guidelines and expectations for us when it comes to how we handle our money. That's why it's so important that we discover the truths of God's word. In fact, let me give you a couple truths today. And the first one is simply this. God owns everything. God owns everything. Now, you may think you own that, or the bank owns that little postage stamp size of property that you may live on. You may think that, but in reality, God owns it. The Bible says, my God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Now, here's the thing. At the end of his life, King David, he had fulfilled almost all of his dreams. But there was one he hadn't fulfilled. You see, David wanted to build the temple for God. But the bad news was this, God wasn't going to allow David to build the temple. You see, David had been a mighty warrior, and David had shed a lot of blood. And so God was not allowing David to build the temple. But the good news was this, he would allow his son Solomon to build the temple. And so David took on the task of raising the money and the resources that would be needed. So in 1 Chronicles chapter 29 this gives us the account of David's incredibly successful capital campaign. In fact, when, when you translate what he raised into modern, modern equivalents, he literally raised billions of dollars for the temple. Now, once this money was raised, David led the people in this powerful time of prayer that acknowledged the fact that everything that, that had been given had come from God. I challenge you when you get home to read that. It's found in 1 Chronicles uh, 29, starting in verse 10, just 10 through 14. So read that when you get home. But in those verses, David basically says three things. He says God originated everything. He said God owns everything. And he said God is over everything. And there's two key verses. And the first one is this. It's found in verse 11. This is what it says. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness, the power, the glory, and the victory. And the majesty, everything in the heavens and on earth is yours, O Lord. And then, get this, and this is your kingdom. We adore you as the one who is over all things. Now, I underlined this phrase, this is your kingdom, because I think it's critical in understanding this. As successful and as powerful as David was, David finally came to the place where he understood and he acknowledged and he realized that he is not the one who built this kingdom. It was God. He understood the fact that everything that he saw in front of him was not his. It was God's. He said, this is your kingdom. It's not mine. It is yours. And how that translates for us is this. We have to get to the place where we where we actually are able to say, God, this is not not mine. I may have thought I did all this, but it's not mine. It is yours. And this church, it's not my church. It's not your church. It's God's church. Everything that this church has accomplished is because of who he is, not because of who we are. We are just fortunate enough to be vessels that God uses to do his kingdom work in this place. And that's what's so amazing. So David says, this is your kingdom. And the second key verse is this, verse 14, where he says, everything we have has come from you, and we give you only what you first gave us. Now, even though this is a hard concept to wrap our minds around, we can never forget that everything we have and everything we are is because of who he is not who we are. True story. It's told about a congressman who took his son to McDonald's. He just wanted to spend time with his son. He it had been, he'd been gone a lot. He's been traveling a lot. He just wanted to spend time with his son. So he took his son to McDonald's and he went to the counter. He bought two Cokes and then the biggest box of fries that they had. And then they went, sat down. Grace consisted basically... You know, of this, God bless these fries, amen. <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. And they just kind of sat there. And as they sat there, his, his son took a drink, and then he began to eat fries. And they began to talk. And he said, I took a drink of my Coke, and then he said, I just reached over to grab a couple fries to be so that I could have some. And he said, as soon as I reached over, my son just went like this. And he kind of surrounded him like he was building a fort. And then he pulled him into his chest he goes I was so taken back I didn't really know what to do he goes I began to think to myself doesn't my son realize that I'm the one who gave him those fries in the first place I mean doesn't he realize that I can take those fries away from him anytime I want I mean doesn't he realize that I don't even need his fries I can go up to the counter and buy all the fries that I want Doesn't he realize that I just wanted to spend some time sharing some fries and entering into his wonderful little world? He said, then it hit him. Wow. My son is treating me the same way I treat God. And the reality is, for a lot of us, there are times when we do the same as well, don't we? Especially when it comes to our finances. Because that, like that dad, I think God just wants to sit down at the table with us. And God just wants to share in the blessings that he has given. He just wants to enter our world and to share with us. But instead of sharing, we kind of build our little fort around what we have. And then we say, whoa, 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 wait a minute, God. Uh, this is what I've done. Uh, you go get your own. never forget that God is the source of all that we have because everything belongs to him. And because that is true, he not only has the ability to give us far more than we could ever imagine, but he also has the ability to take away everything that we think is ours. Psalm 24.1 reminds us the earth and everything on it belong to the Lord. The world and his people belong to him. And so that first thing is this, God owns everything. But the second truth is this, there's no security in money and wealth. There's no security in money or wealth. I mean, what you have today can be gone literally in the blink of an eye. There's a great passage that's found in Ecclesiastes chapter 5, starting in verse 10. It was written by Solomon who knew, well, he knew a lot about money, (laughs) I mean, he was not only the wisest guy that ever lived, but he was probably one of the richest guys who ever lived. You know, today, if you want to know how to play golf, you, you know, you talk to Jordan, Jordan Spieth or Dustin Johnson. If you wanted to talk about finances, you would have went to Solomon. I mean, he was that type of guy. And in these verses, he teaches us that what we need to understand is to have the right attitude about our finances. And so beginning in verse 10, Solomon gives us a couple of reasons why there's no security in wealth. First is this, money and wealth will never satisfy. It'll never satisfy. Look at what he says. Those who love money will never have enough. How meaningless to think that wealth brings true happiness. Those who love money, what? Will never have enough. John D. Rockefeller was once asked, how much money is enough? His answer was amazingly transparent. He simply said, just a little more. You see, the reality is, when money becomes the driving passion of our lives, no matter how much we have, it will never be enough. It will never be enough. And so we'll strive for more. We'll strive to have the latest and the greatest. Apple counts on that every time they bring out a new iPhone. They're counting on the fact that what you have is not good enough. And so what you need is what they're going to give you when you buy it. Because it's never enough. But the second thing is this. He says money and wealth can easily be lost. Can easily be lost. He goes on to say the more you have, the more people come to help you spend it. That's true, is it? The more you have, the more people come to help you spend it. Now, those of you who have kids understand that once they leave the house, that principle is still true <laughs> in a lot of ways. They still love to help you spend it. So what good is wealth, he says, except perhaps to watch it slip through your fingers? Now the Hebrew for the phrase to, "to watch it slip through your fingers" literally means "breath." Breath. Breath is something that has no definite substance and is elusive. It's here one minute, and then it's gone the next. It's a little like what happens when you toss boiling water into the air on a sub-zero day. Here watching, you'll see what I mean. It was 30 below when they did this. That's boiling water. And as you can see, it just slowly disappeared in a cloud of cold vapor. And that's what Solomon says. Solomon says that money doesn't satisfy your soul because money has a way of just simply going poof and then it's gone. Proverbs 23 verses 4 and 5 says, Don't wear yourself out trying to get rich. Restrain yourself. Riches disappear in the blink of an eye. Wealth sprouts wings and flies off into the wild blue yonder. And then look what he says in verse 15 of Ecclesiastes 5. He says, we all come to the end of our lives as naked and empty-handed as on the day we were born. We can't take our riches with us. In other words, we bring nothing into this world at our birth, and we take nothing with us at our death. Now Jesus, as we come into the New Testament, made this same point when he told a parable about a rich man in Luke chapter 12. Let me set the stage Of what's going on. Jesus is in the middle of teaching his disciples. And he's suddenly interrupted by a guy who's really dissatisfied. Because he thinks his brother has taken him for part of the inheritance. So he literally interrupts Jesus. And he wants Jesus to to do something about it. He demands that Jesus tells his brother to divide the inheritance with him. But Jesus didn't answer the way he expected because Jesus knew that this this disagreement that they were having, it was only a symptom of a greater problem, and that problem was greed. You see, they didn't need Jesus to solve the dispute. What they needed was to change their heart. And so Jesus tells them a parable starting in verse 16 about a rich man who had been so successful that he decided... I don't have enough places to store all my grain. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm just going to tear down all my barns, and I'm just going to build bigger barns. And this is his reasoning starting in verse 18. Look what he says. Then I'll gather in all my grain and goods, and I'll say to myself, Self, you've done well. You've got it made and can now retire. Take it easy and have the time of your life. Now here's a guy who bought into the lie. It's my money, and I can do whatever I want with it. And if you had asked him if he was being greedy, he would have probably said, "Man, I'm not greedy. That's just a sound business investment. That's going to give me security for the rest of my life. Andy Stanley wrote, People with greed lodged in their heart fear that God either can't or won't take care of them. Wow. Listen to that again. People with greed lodged in their heart fear that God either can't or won't take care of them and that's the real issue isn't it I mean the real issue is that we try to find our security in what we have instead of giving to God what he deserves and so we keep everything because we're afraid that God won't take care of us in the fashion or the style that we think we deserve now well, wow, this guy thought he had all the time in the world to enjoy all the wealth that he had amassed. Jesus goes on to say <laughs> in verses 20 and 21, look at what Jesus says. Just then, God showed up. Whoa, that's, that's probably not a good thing it's most of the time, okay. Just then, God showed up and said, fool, tonight you die. Now, I told the first service, as I was doing that this week and putting this together, I, I, I had trouble... Not picturing God as Mr. T right there. I don't know why, uh, but I just kept picturing God as Mr. T. You know, you, uh, I pity the fool, you know, and so. But anyway, God shows up and says, Fool, tonight you die, and your barn full of goods. Who gets it? That's what happens, and you need to remember this when you fill your barn with self and not with God. According to the Bible, A fool is anyone who leaves God out of the decision-making process. That's why this man was a fool. He lived his life as if God didn't exist. He thought he was responsible for what he had instead of recognizing that everything he had came from God. He believed that his security was wrapped up in his wealth, in what he had accomplished. But here's the thing. No matter how much you think you have when you die, guess what? you can't take it with you. There are no U-Haul trailers hitched to the back of your coffin. There's no bank branches in heaven. Everything you have will one day be left behind. It's yours now to either use for the glory of God or to abuse. But one day it will be taken from you and you will stand before God and you will give an account of how you used it. So then, what do we do? I mean, what should our response be so that we can be good stewards of what God has given us? It comes down to this. We need to honor God first. We just need to honor God first. Back in the book of Deuteronomy, we find that the Jewish people gave the first of their grain, first of their new wine, uh, of their oil, uh, of their sheared wool, of their sheep. And that's a lot of firsts. As we come into the book, excuse me, of Proverbs in chapter 3, in verses 9 and 10, we read these words, Honor the Lord with your wealth and the firstfruits from all your crops. Then, in other words, when you honor God, when you give him the firstfruits, then your barns will be full and your wine barrels will overflow with new wine. As Solomon wrote those words, he was writing from experience. Because Solomon knew the dangers of the pursuit of of money, the pursuit of wealth, the pursuit of things over the pursuit of God. He knew the danger that was there. He knew the meaningless path that that could take you down and eventually take you out. He knew that. Why? Because all you got to do is look at the book of Ecclesiastes back in chapter 2 and you can read about his downward spiral that came from literally having it all. As you read chapter 2, it's amazing. He didn't just build him a house. He built houses. He didn't just go to visit vineyards. He built vineyards. He built parks. He didn't go to concerts. It says he literally bought the band. And he bought a harem. I'm not even sure where that goes. He had all these things. And then look at... Look at what verse 10 says, and this is what's so amazing. He said, I decided to deny myself nothing that my eyes desired. Can you imagine? Denying yourself nothing that your eyes desired. And so, uh, yeah, I'll take that Maserati, that Bentley, I'll take that Porsche, and once you just, yeah, go ahead and throw in, you know, the stuff over here. I mean, whatever his eyes saw that he wanted, he denied himself nothing. And you would think he had to be the happiest guy in the world. But look at his conclusion in verse 11 of chapter 2 of Ecclesiastes. Look what he says. And when I surveyed all that my hands, my hands, you see that? My hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve. Everything was meaningless. It was all like chasing the wind. Nothing was really gained under the sun. Solomon, the wisest guy in the world, came to understand that the pursuit of things over the pursuit of God leads you down a very Bad, meaningless path. As we come into the New Testament, Jesus tells us that giving really becomes a heart issue. And he gives us a great passage that's found in Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 19 and going through verse 24. And in this passage, Jesus challenges us with this the question, where is your treasure? And to help us find the answer, he gives us three tests. I'll go through these very quickly. He gives us three tests. The first is the durability test. It simply asks the question, how long will it last? Look at what Jesus says, starting in verse 19. Don't store treasures for yourself here on earth where moths and rust will destroy them and thieves can break in and steal them. But store your treasures in heaven where they cannot be destroyed by moths or rust and where thieves cannot break in and steal them. Now, understand, Jesus isn't saying that it's wrong to have treasures. He's not saying that it's wrong to have things. What he's saying is you ha- have to realize and put them in perspective and not have your focus on the material things of life. Your focus has to be on the things that are eternal, the things of God, the things that will last forever. You see, the key, I, the key lies in the little phrase, for yourself. That's the thing that gets us in trouble. Jesus just wants us to get past this selfish, self-centered desire to continually want more and more stuff so we can focus on the eternal. The late missionary Jim Elliott once said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. That's so true. And so we have the durability test. How long will it last? But second of all, we have the heart test. It asks the question, Where are you investing your time and money? Verse 21 says this, your heart will be where your treasure is. Your heart will be where your treasure is. The problem is that too many of us spend all that we have on the material, and then we wonder why we have little left to give to God. And let me be real honest with you, you'll never be able to get your heart focused on God's kingdom work as long as your attention is focused on the material things of life. And so the question is, where are you investing your time and your money? It's the heart test, but lastly, the master test. It just asks this question, who do you serve? Who do you serve? And look at verse 24. No one can serve two masters. The person will hate one master and love the other, or will follow one master and refuse to follow the other. You cannot serve both God and worldly riches. Author John Stott put it this way. He says, we cannot maintain a life of, an, of extravagance and a good conscience simultaneously. One or the other has to be sacrificed. Either we keep our conscience and reduce our affluence by giving generously and helping those in need, or we keep our affluence and smother our conscience. We have to choose between God and money. So the question is, what choice have you made and who do you serve? Who do you serve? Now, when we began and at the beginning, I I simply made this statement. When God's people give us his directed in his word, our impact can become limitless. Remember that? I told you to hold on to that and remember that because we were going to come back to that. Well, we're coming back to that right now. And I want to share with you why that's important. When God's people give us, God is directed, the impact of what we do can become limitless. A year ago. Now, if you're visiting with us today, understand I'm only doing one week on finances, so don't get worried. <sighs> last year we did four weeks, and we needed it last year. We'd been through a tough year and a half, uh, partly because, again, this is a very transient area. We had a lot of families, our military families move, move out, and it leaves holes both with involvement as well as finances. And we were building back from that, but God was still blessing. And so it was important last year that we do that. And we did, we spent four weeks on it. And let me tell you what happened when we challenged our people to do three things. One was if they weren't tithing to step up and try the tithe. Two, if they couldn't do that, to at least up their giving by 3%. The last was, if that's all you can do, then just give, give another $25 a week. And just see what God does. Now, when we ended the series, and by a month after we ended it, our giving went up between 30 and 40%. That's amazing, isn't it? Now, I only say that for this reason, because again, when God's people give as God has directed, the impact is limitless. You know what that allowed us to do? Your giving, what, what it allowed us to do? First of all, it allowed us to sponsor uh, Two um, missionaries, two preachers in India who are reaching the unchurched people groups in India. It allowed us to do that. That wasn't in the budget. But your giving allowed us to do that. It allowed us to buy them motorcycles, right, Gary? It allowed us to give them the materials that they needed so that they could do their work. That wouldn't have happened if we hadn't stepped up to the plate and gave the way God was wanting us to give. You know what else it allowed us to do? In August, it allowed us to bring on Abby Bulliner part-time as a, in our children's ministry to help Michelle and to help start a fifth and sixth grade ministry. And let me tell you, she's doing an amazing job. We wouldn't have been able to do that if you hadn't stepped up to give like God wants you to give. In August, it also allowed the leaders to say, we need to give our staff a raise. We hadn't given them a raise for a while. Let's give them a raise. Let me tell you, I appreciated that. (laughs) So did Lucy. And I thank you for that. And I say that for this reason. Because of your giving, God was able to do above and beyond what we originally thought we could do as a church. All because you stepped up and said, I want to give the way God is giving, wants me to give. This is how he's directed me. And so that's my challenge again. For those of you that have come in since then, if you're not tithing, my challenge to you is this. Try the tithe. Just try and see if God doesn't bless. If you can't do that, just increase your giving by what you can. Or give 25 bucks more a week, whatever. And you will just not know the... You won't be able to imagine the impact that can come when God's people really give. You see, there are some things I really want us to do this year or that are that are not in the budget. I'm hoping that we can not only plant help with this guy's church right over here, Joel, who we prayed for this morning, but I also hope we're able to support uh, another new work that's going in Frederick, Maryland. I'm on the management team for that church plant. I'm hoping that we can maybe get to the place this year that we can bring on another part-time staff that's going to be greatly needed. And it's going to happen because God's people step up and give. So that's my challenge to you is that when God's people give the way God has directed in his word, the impact can become limitless. Let's think about those limitless impacts for the kingdom of God and what can happen in this place. Again, if you're visiting, you're probably not going to hear me talk about finances for a long time. I tell our people this, if you give, I won't talk about it. (laughs) So that's my challenge. Let's pray.